Let's go back to the top story. The Mayor of Auckland wanting to re-energise what he says is the most beautiful and loved public-owned waterfront on any harbour in the world. So what does that mean? Open-air seawater pool, concerts at the waterfront, amphitheatre, a Te Ao Māori showcase centre. Uh, public access has long been an issue. Not everyone's in favour, especially not Maritime Union NZ. They said it was a threat to the stability of Auckland and the wider economy. With us now is Auckland Mayor Wayne uh, Brown. Welcome, Wayne. Yeah, good day, Wallace. So you've got a couple of our Aucklanders here who are in support uh, of the proposal of the panel here. So um, some big ideas here. How long has this been brewing, Mayor Brown? Well, it's been brewing in my head for a while, but and I, I, when I started campaigning to be the mayor about 18 months ago now, uh, I had five things, one of which was to um, open up the harbour for the people, particularly down in the, in the middle of the city. And uh, I had 300 meetings, and in every one of them, people liked the idea of being able to um, use the harbour right down near, near where the city. The other thing I pointed out many times was also, also that the Port was a lousy investment, producing very poor returns considering the value of the land it was on. Just by being grumpy, all of a sudden it's making some money, um, which is good. But but and also they realise that they don't actually they can vacate um, a couple of wharves almost straight away, and it won't make any difference to their profitability. Now stage one, and then in another seven or eight years or something, we might look at moving a bit further. But in the short term. It doesn't have any, any impact on the port's viability at all. Okay, well, the panel might want to sort of uh, come in uh, here, Wayne. But um, I think you mentioned you went overseas, you're quite inspired by one particular port. But in three words or less, how would you describe Auckland's waterfront as it stands now? Um, de- depressing and grubby and lacking any imagination. Linda? No, I was going to say, I'd say a bit shabby. <laughs> no other city in the world is trying to do what we've got. I'm trying to do what some of the great cities in the world have got, which have swimming pools and uh, in the sea down at the bottom of the harbour and uh, much more interactivity right at the bottom of Queen Street where the people, people kind of love the harbour is the best thing about Auckland, but you can't get onto it right down there. And there's no other city in the world uses it as a car park or the sorts of things that we use it for or storing coal for goodness sake um, and so I want to actually make it something that the people like Okay, uh, let's go on the panel Wayne stay there uh, and we'll come back to you Linda you first uh, Well Wayne, Wallace is very concerned about how much it's going to cost and who's going to pay for it Why is he concerned about that? I've just sat through meetings where we've just approved spending $6 million fixing some old um, stately home that we own. I mean, the, what it, this is a kind of a cost-neutral, cost-plus thing to us. We've got um, the cost of having those uh, those wharves underutilised now is very high. No, I'm just I'm th- thinking, Mayor Brown, you know, is it the right... Uh, some people say, is it the right time to be putting together a vanity list of things like saltwater pools when the council is cash-strapped with regards to so many community initiatives, Wayne. You want to cut, for example, the number of councillors and the city's 21 local boards. Here you've got this dream project of a saltwater pool. 
Well, saltwater pool, if you look at the picture of the one in um, Copenhagen, is a pretty small, relatively cheap thing. I'm, a dream program would be project would be a stadium down there. Now, that's completely nuts and isn't going to happen. But a saltwater pool on the edge of the harbour down there, it's, it's probably less than what we've done just repairing the um, ferry terminal. It's just quite small stuff. Uh, and, you know, we are, after all, a $6 billion a year business. And, uh, I mean, we could probably pay for this just by stop, stop spending money on consultants, to be honest. Jeremy. Yeah, I mean, I was going to point out, I, I, I like the fact that... Um, and I think it's really worth repeating that this this is not a reinvention of the the waterfront stadium project because, like you say, no, no, those no, no, those no, wharfs no. you're talking, I know exactly those wharfs you're talking about, and those finger um, wharfs, right? And, and, the you, finger and wharfs. you're saying they yeah. could be available very quickly. Yes, they're not. The, the court have already told us once you start pressing people, you get you get good results. Just I've just pressed them, and all of a sudden, the profits have doubled. Um, you put pressure on them, and all of a sudden they realise no, they don't. They can actually operate with less if you give people space and let them use it. They'll use it. If you say, I demand that you you provide something back of value for the space that you're using. All of a sudden, they don't particularly need it. And then again, and this is just stuff that's available pretty well as soon as I can get my hands on it. Really, well, what impact space, would it? It might be ten years away, and we might be slowly moving our way across. But there's nothing in in my first stage that impacts on the viability of the wharf, so, of the port, so the, the stuff from the union. They're you talking about stuff that might be 10 or 15 years away. Do you see this, Wayne? Would it have an impact on the cruise terminal, just out of curiosity? Well, it would, wouldn't it? They'd have to move. Well, the thing is, the cruise terminal it brings people here to visit our city. And I would like them to get off the cruise liners and have something that they think, wow, that's really cool, yep. instead of looking at a red fence and saying, I wonder what that crap is over there. <laughs> now, Mayor Brown, have you talked with, have you have you brought in Nati Fatua uh, with these plans? Well, I'm pretty close to Nati Fatua, but Nati Fatua have got their own plans for a hot, they own a whole lot of land further along the wharf. They're thinking about possibly having a uh, stadium on their land, not rather in sunken in the harbour, like, some, like there's another fairly absurd project being floated around, which won't happen because it's got to have a lot of council money put on it. But no, I'm quite close to Nadi Fader. Nadi Fader have got an interest in the beautification and better use of the port area. Absolutely, like most people. Yeah, and you agree with them, don't you? We talked about that oh, earlier. You're I just fully think in support. it's a great idea because right. I actually think you need to be visionary. Otherwise, what is the point? Somebody has to be. Well, the point is pragmatism. Well, the point, the point, the point, Mayor, the point, Wayne, is actually um, dealing with the issues under the ground. We've had a shocker of a year. It's under the ground first, and the nice-to-haves are a saltwater pool uh, on the waterfront. Uh, that's, what, that's what we need to get out. We need to get our ducks in a row, don't we, Mayor? Well, when you're talking about what I'm doing, I'm talking about making better use of space we can't get at, which isn't actually used. And you have to start with one thing first. And probably the saltwater pool's not a not a very expensive, it's a fairly limited sort of a project. All those other bits and pieces that they're talking about, cultural centres and other things, that's aspirational. But you have to start with something first so people get their idea. Hmm. The first way, the best thing to do to bring interaction but to the city is to have a pool and down there at the bottom of things so people can swim in summer. The picture that you see is of Copenhagen and that's a cold place and they're going swimming. And this is a, and, the, and there's no very little, there's no running cost to those things because the water is seawater. It's not full of chlorine and they're not full of 
Very nice to have you on, uh, Mayor Brown. Thanks for uh, explaining, uh, and uh, we'll see what the responses are here on the panel. But kia ora. That's uh, Auckland Mayor Wayne Brown there. Both of you are uh, for it. And uh, look, let's just face it. Um, I'll put my dogs on. Uh, uh, well, um, a, a saltwater pool would probably be nicer public amenity then, but remember, the water's already there, Wallace. Like you just literally yeah. have to put one edge around it, and then you've got a pool. Sure. And All you right. can use it as an overflow for the stormwater system as well, if you need to. <laughs> you yeah. see, I do That's think. Thinking, why are you on the council? Well, isn't I mean? it me? I've just said. I've suddenly I agree with something Wayne Brown said, and then his whole thing is pinned on the one bit of it that I'm not sure about is the pool. So, <laughs> but there's a saltwater yeah. pool on the, in yeah. Sydney somewhere, right? Life I'm is, swimming it. It's great. And there's a saltwater pool in Sinclair Dunedin there as is. well, which is a very good. You know it, Jeremy. Anyway, <laughs> to a completely different topic here. I do want to get to this? Um, not for the first time, Gloria Vale is at the centre of allegations of sexual abuse. It was reported yesterday that Gloria Vale leader Howard Temple is facing indecency charges involving 10 girls. It is alleged the sexual offending has been going on for a couple of decades. Despite the pressure on Temple, the Christian community has made it clear he's not stepping down from his leadership duties. Earlier in the year, the Employment Court found that six Gloria Vale women were employees, not volunteers, as claimed by the community. So former members of Glory Vale, they are calling for the place to be shut down. So why don't we? With us is uh, Anke Richter, author, reporter, cult research. Uh, Anke, thank you for being patient and holding. <laughs> yes, hi, Wallace. Kia ora. Kia ora. Lovely to have you here. I guess what I was thinking about regarding this really tragic story and actually long-running uh, story is a simple question to you. Why do we even allow such cults to exist? <laughs> That's a good question, but I think you got the wrong end of the stick because we don't often see these groups as cults until they're full-blown cults. And then, um, I mean, legally, uh, we have a, we have the right to, you know, to religious beliefs, but that can't be superior to all our other human rights. So, with Bloorville, what you're seeing is this scenario where too little, too late has been done by various agencies across the spectrum, from Oranga Tamariki to the police to um, MBIE and so on, but no, no one's really stepped up and. Um, you know, has seen the whole systemic abuse that's going on here and treated it as a whole. And I think that that is the problem. And if if you think back of Centerpoint, right? I mean, it's mm. something I've I've covered extensively. You've got to ask yourself: Have we learned? Have we learned nothing from Centerpoint? Yeah. Where, how, how can it actually be that under, you know, that Gloria State under the radar with everything that we now know has been going on for so long? And we don't only know this now because, because of the two cases that you've just mentioned. There was a review in 2016-17, the Charities Commission. They had all the info and they still thought there was nothing wrong with the place or not as much as we now know. Centerpoint, I'm sorry, Gloryvale, Freudian slip here for very good reasons. <laughs> Gloryvale is a gulag that has just been established in the employment court. That court case was brought forward by by former members and activists who who sought their own, you know, legal action. It wasn't brought on by the government. So I think this is really, I mean, excuse me if I'm ranting here, but I'm actually, you know, like you, I'm asking myself, how can it be? That, that that the government is basically enabling yeah enabling this kind of group we have one of the most progressive 
laws in Aotearoa when it comes to women's rights and LGBTQ rights. And in this place, in Gloryvale, these rights are systematically trampled on a daily basis and children's rights. And the right to religious free beliefs can't be superior to those rights. So I think we need to see some political action, which we haven't seen since, I mean, 2015, former MP, Green MP, Catherine Delahunty, she tried to get the Gloryville School registered. Right. Ah, interesting. And I have not seen anyone since then speak up about it in in the political sphere. Nothing needs to happen. Gosh, eight years on or so. Uh, Stay there, Anka. Let's go around the panel. We'll come back. You first, Linda. I mean, I completely agree. It's one of those cases, too, I think, where with the benefit of hindsight, you'll sit back later on and go, that was crazy. How do we allow this to continue for so long? I mean, even just from an employment point of view, you know, you look at what's going on with some of the liquor stores and, you know, indebted foreign slaves, basically. And right here, we've got like homegrown, homebred slaves stuck there with no economic ability to leave. I mean, how is this continuing? Jeremy? Yeah, I guess my question would be, where, where does that intervention come from? Because, mm. I mean, one of the reasons that this is coming to light is because people within Gloria Vale are now speaking up. And there has been this omerta, this you know code of silence from, as there is often with these groups. Um, so so who, who would you suggest would be the person who should be looking at this from the outside, you know, without stepping into this, because, yeah, I, I mean, I understand that we have to have this freedom of expression and we have to have this, you know, government need to not step on everything. But but who should be in there? Should it be employment rights? Should it be um, child, youth and family? Sorry to use the old name, but um, I mean, who, who should be stepping in to police this? I mean, these these agencies are now stepping in, mm. but they didn't really understand in the first place what they're dealing with. So, for instance, if you if you think about Oranga Tamriki, or mm. back in the old days when it was still serfs, right? Um, if they go onto a place like Gloria, where people are heavily indoctrinated not to speak to any outsiders, where they think the police and everything on the outside is actually evil, they're, they're brainwashed. So, if someone comes in and tries to do a, a normal kind of inquiry around a case, yeah, they're not going to get the, the correct answers. And then secondly, these these cases have not been reported to the police. That's that's one of the big problems at Gloraville, and it was the same exactly at Centre Point, and we know it across the board in other religious communities like Jehovah's Witnesses and so on. They deal with this in-house, mm. and they pressure members mm. to forgive. I mean, we're talking about a nine-year-old girl here that I know of personally, to forgive the 60-year-old um, predator, yeah. So then it's been dealt with inside, in house, and they don't. They, there's no need anymore to involve the police. So, and if you don't understand these dynamics, you know the police can show up there and do their job, um, but they're not going to. You know, it's not going to go anywhere. So I think what we really need to see is a political interest. Look, look. If if your religious belief dictates you to blow up a mosque or a synagogue or something like that, the SIS will be all over you, right? There would be <laughs> that wouldn't be tolerated. But how come that under the disguise, you know, of 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 religion and Christianity, this can go on? I, I mean, my hunch is also because they're tucked away on the west coast and they're a big. Um, economic player there, and there hasn't been any interest really in the lo- locally mm. in the region by any of the you know maybe minor political figures there. That you know it's it's a very remote area, yes. and Gloria is a big player. I'm so just looking at the. Come to play, how- 
Why, why they're still, you know, why nothing's happened. I'm just looking yeah. at some of the aspects of, uh, you know, accountability. Reading here in the article uh, I have here, when allegations were made, police were never called because Gloria Vale did not believe in outside help. And this approach was underpinned by the Bible passage that a brother should not be taken before the ungodly for judgment. So here we have a self-referential, sort of very inward-looking um <laughs> I guess, organization who um, self-polices and has done so for many, many years. Churches are obliged to report sexual abuse to authorities, right? How how come glory of a level? So, you know, and then also you could even look at the parole board as being, having been enablers. Their their, their late leader, um, Hope for Christian, Oneva Cooper, he was a, he was a, a sexual offender on a on a on a large scale. I mean, he's done some horrific things, and he was he was allowed back into his own community. The same with um, Bert Potter back then, yeah, and other other sex abusers at center point. So even if they had stopped, you know, after prison, what they were doing, they were still upholding the system. They were still they they, they basically create a system of abuse because this is not even about specific men like Howard Temple or so. This is systemic. So the system needs to needs to come down, and I hope we're going to see like a, a group action, actually not just actually against the government, yeah, for letting this go on. Because we could have learned from from Centerpoint. Centerpoint, by the way, in 1996, the um, the Solicitor General did an inquiry into into the Centerpoint Community Growth Trust, and they also found there were multiple breaches of New Zealand law. Did they shut the place down? No. That was a private action from some committed members of a six-year lawsuit that wore them all out where they finally managed to shut it down. And, you know, it shouldn't be like that. Yeah. Very good to have you on the program. I wish we could talk to you longer, Anke, but hopefully I, I get the opportunity to speak with you again. For now, though, Anke Richter, author, reporter, cult researcher on why the likes of Gloria Vale uh, should be in the 21st century allowed to... Uh, allowed to because I'm sure there'll be many more questions around that uh, organisation, huh? Yeah, I mean, I think there is obviously you are dealing with you know it, things are handled internally. Um, yeah. I think what really frightened me actually was when she said there that you know this is a group that doesn't believe in police authority and in the laws of New Zealand. And I mean, doesn't that sound awfully familiar from the last yeah. few years? With but that's the also self-perpetuating, isn't it? Like if you think about Waco, they were all told you know the police are evil, mm. they're going to come and kill everyone, and then they did indeed come in and kill everyone just how that you know so that's the problem you've got too is that when you've been raised like that you don't know that the way that you're thinking is out of step with modern society got a text here Wallace I used to work at Christchurch Hospital as a nurse and was sitting with a new mother from Gloria Vale she was telling me that she wanted to be a midwife but the elders had prayed on it and told her no she had to work in the kitchen her whole life uh, so thank you very much for your response. A lot, by, by the way, a lot of response too regarding uh, Mayor Wayne Brown, so we'll put that in the Friday mailbag uh, for tomorrow. But finally on the program, what would Christmas be without standing in line with the kids for an awkward family photograph and a forced smile? Well, there is that chance that this year your local moor could be looking a little more forlorn. Why? New Zealand is facing a Santa Claus shortage. Your mall might not have a Santa this Christmas. So there is a Santa recruitment drive happening. With us is Viviana Diaz, seen to believe's head Christmas character recruiter, Viviana Kiora. Hello, how are you? Very well. Explain to me, why could there be a Santa shortage this year? 
So what happened is that every year we have more and more people coming to have photos with Santa. So we're always looking for jolly people, you know, to join our forces. So you're looking for jolly people. How many positions are available? Yeah, we have more than 20 in Auckland and more around, you know, Hamilton, Taranga, Palmerston North and also Christchurch. So we are always looking for people that really have a warm and jolly personality and that they really want to make other people happy. Well, I know just the person who is warm, jolly, looks a little bit like Santa facially, and that's Jeremy Alwood. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, you could just recruit from baristas in Wellington, couldn't you, with the beards? But I, I do have a question. Um, do you have guidelines around, like, for example, is there, a, is there an age limit? Is there, I mean, do Santas have to be male? Um, I mean, do you have restrictions about who can become a Santa? Yeah, no, that's right. Look, the thing is, uh, we're really looking for people that really, that is, as I say, jolly and happy. But you don't need to look like Santa. We provide the full suit and the costume and the beer and the, you know, so you will look like Santa. It's more important that you have the personality than the look. Okay, so... Thing as well, is age is not important. We have Santas from 20 years old to 90, so age is not really a limit. And for the ladies as well, we also have a Mrs. Claus position, so they can apply to be a Santa as well. Okay, Linda Helena, jolly... Happy. I think that this is just um, a symptom of modern society. There's, people are too grumpy. We're running out of happy <laughs> people to be Santa. That's really Maybe sad. That's right. yeah. Well, that's, that's sad, not- isn't it, Viviana? <laughs> uh, that people are too, the society is too grumpy to want to be. I mean, Linda can't be right. There must be people, jolly, happy people, knocking on your door every now and then still wanting to be Santa. Because it's a, it would be a gift being a Santa. I would love it. That's correct. It's not just a job. You get paid for the job, but I think it's just a, a great opportunity for making other people happy, you know? So, yeah. Now, you will have to have a working with children clearance, am I right? Yeah, that's correct. We just need a clear criminal history, so just because you are working with children, so we have to be sure that, you know, they are capable to do it. And uh, the other thing, we will provide the training. We have a Santa school, so we will have that one we, in New Zealand. So uh, they will be trained to perform with Santa because we have other sessions that are special that we will prepare them for them, like pet sessions and also sensitive Santa. Jeremy, what's what's the? Can you give us a secret that they teach you at Santa school? Oh, we teach you how to answer any questions that you might get. You know, like how old are you, Santa, or where are you reindeer, or you know, so many questions that the kids can have for you. It's fantastic. Idea. I look. I I I am actually tempted. I'm tempted. Look, if they actually. change if they change, ho- if they change hotel checkouts to eleven, I'll be there. <laughs> I'll be jolly. I'll be there with my Santa suit at yeah. five past. He he he. Uh, our guest here, uh, <laughs> he likes to get up late. Um, so hopefully, if uh, the Santa thing is on at three p.m., he may be able to do it. But look, all the best for it. Finally, uh, for those who are driving across the Auckland Harbour Bridge, going through the Vic Tunnel, where can you enter? Yes, so if you want more information, you want, you want to apply or you just have some questions, yep. please just contact us on our website, seemtobelieve.com.nc. Good on you, Viviana. That's us. Go and be a Santa. That's the panel. Linda, Helen, and Jeremy Almond, thank you very, very much. I'm just going to say this. Yeah. There's going to be a strawberry shortage, which is a bigger concern for Christmas. Even Christmas bigger. ruined. No Santa, no strawberries. No Santa, no strawberries. Happy Thursday to you too, Linda. I'm Wallace Chaffin back tomorrow. <laughs> Friday, 3.45, Lisa Owen and Cheekboy next. See you later.